So welcome, Max, to the podcast again. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, me and Max, we recorded our uh, podcast episode last week. Um, And wouldn't you believe it? We didn't record <laughs> record it. So it wasn't that we didn't press it, was it? The camera um, it just timed out. out. Yeah, the camera timed out. And um, one of the microphones actually uh, well, sort of failed, basically. Well, uh, I, I thought we had a nice conversation. <laughs> nice to catch up with you. <laughs> we had a bloody awesome conversation. Um, but no one will ever hear it. We put all the world's problems to rights. Um, but I don't know about you now. I've forgotten what we said. Um, what a shame that the world's never going to hear it. No. But we're having, this is take two. We're going to try it again. Um, hopefully, I'm sure it's going to be this, as good, if not better, than the first time. So, welcome, Max, to the Rockman podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, now, some public service announcements before we start. For those of you who don't know, uh, Rockman is a mental resilience focused running movement for those with a deep desire to push their limits forge unbreakable resilience and improve their mental well-being. Um, We provide the information, the tools and the support to inspire actions, to inspire action, to overcome the most intimidating challenges in running, fitness and in life. So the aim of the podcast today is to offer up some insight and information on pushing our limits and hopefully inspire others to go out and push their own limits in order to improve their own resilience, fitness, health and well-being. Um, if you want to be notified of new podcasts, uh, podcast release, be sure to hit the subscribe button below. Um, and if you take any value from the podcast today, please be sure to give us a thumbs up or leave us a review. There's no money put behind these podcasts. They're totally free. So we rely on likes, shares, comments, reviews, and subscribes to grow the audience. So any interaction is greatly appreciated. Done. (gasps) Right. What else we got? So today we are interviewing Max Glover, ultra strength endurance strongman extraordinaire, something like that. What else can we add to the end of I that? Know, Let's just put as many as we can. Well, you you pretty much cover all bases with the challenges. But for people who don't know, who are who is Max Glover? Right. So I'm just I'm a normal guy basically. Uh, normal guy, but I like to do fitness, gym training, gym training, strength training, and every now and then I just do random challenges like um, uh, tow a car for a marathon or carry 100 kilograms on my back for 100 kilometers. I just get these ideas sometimes. I train for them. Or sometimes I don't train for them. But that's just the sort of thing I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was the last challenge that you did? Well, last one was a two-mile truck pull, which I think was a world record, actually, because I don't think anyone's ever actually pulled it for that far before. But basically, we got, we got a truck. We got a massive airfield, just a long airfield. And we just, well, I just pulled it for... Two miles, basically. But it wasn't just a truck, was it? It was a 10-ton truck, but... <laughs> it was actually 18-ton truck. <laughs> it was actually 18-ton So expl- explain that to the listeners, what happened there. Yeah, so uh, I, I wanted to do a 7.5-ton truck. So to be classed as a HGV, it's got to be anything above 7.5 tons. So I thought, right, let's go with the minimum. It's classed as HGV, that's fine. So I wanted to do a, a pull with that. There is money for charity. And yeah, so... Really, really struggled to find a 7.5 ton truck. And I put that down to the fact that when I decided to do this challenge, when I first came up with the idea, it happened at the exact same time that there was a HGV driver shortage in the UK. So I couldn't find anyone to drive the lorry for me. It's because you were tuck it, towing all their trucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nothing to drive. Yeah. Um, so in the end, then we managed to 
but eventually found something. And this was the Friday before the actual challenge was due to start. So I, I didn't even have a vehicle squared away until like two days before the challenge was supposed to, ha was supposed to ha actually happen. Um, and it just turned out that it was what well, we were told a 10 ton, eight, an eight to 10 ton truck. And then when we got there, we took a look at it and it said 18 tons on the inside of the, uh, <laughs> on the inside of the chassis of the car. So how, of, the, of the truck, sorry. How did that, what did you think when you read that? Was, was there a feeling of dread or was there a feeling of, right, well, it's 18. What, what, what were you feeling and how did it affect your approach to the challenge? Well, I just thought, oh, of course, of course this is going to happen, isn't it? Nothing ever goes smoothly, especially with me. There's always, there's always hiccups. Something always goes wrong with me. It's, um, it's just the way it is. And it's, it's always like that. After like, the whole challenge while organizing it, it was, I had a venue, then I didn't have a venue. And then I thought I had a venue and then I didn't have a venue. And then it, it you know, had this problems trying to get the venue, all these problems in trying to get the truck, all these problems trying to um, do my training, all these things kept popping up out of the way. And then the last hurdle then got there and it was eight tons more than what I was expecting it to be. Brilliant. Um, it's just what happens with these challenges things, you know, they, they pop up out of the blue. You just do your best to try and, try and overcome them. Yeah. I think initially felt like a bit silly at first. I thought if I can't move this, I'm going to look like a right fool. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and I, did, I did at first fall over a couple of times trying to, trying to move it. How many times, like how many attempts did it take for you to even budget? Did you manage to budget on the first no, no. The first go, I just I slipped a little bit. Um, it was just trying to find a technique, trying to get the right, because I had a, a rope set up as well, trying to pull that, trying to get my grip as well. Mm. Um, yeah, eventually <laughs> we got it rolling. So these are 18 ton, or 18 ton trucks, yeah. Like, to put it into perspective to the to listeners, what, what sort of, how big is that physically? And what, what sort of stuff are they carrying? Is this like the supermarket trucks that you see delivering all the, the groceries or is this like an in is this like a, a grit mm. yeah a salt and grit truck or something or a, a was, garbage truck it's actually a sweeper a sweeper so it was like they're full of water well yeah so they're full of water they like they clear the roads or clear the the runways or like air, air, um, airports ah so these aren't this isn't like a, a civilian yeah you could roads. use it it's supposed oh, to be, like the highway maintenance use them as well okay. but that's where it, why it was at the airport for was because that's where they use it for to clear the water off the runway. I don't exactly know how they how they do it. They must have some kind of jet system or something like that. Mm. But he's got a massive tank at the back. It's full of water. So that's what. Yeah. yeah. That's what that, that, the the job of that um, that was. So it's not like a lorry. I want to do a lorry, but I just couldn't find one of those. Yeah. But looking at the weight of the vehicle as well, it's it's not just that that becomes a challenge. It's also how many wheels it's got, how many axles it's got, because then that can create the friction. So you might yeah. find a lorry or like a fuel tank. It might be the same weight. Because they've got more axles and more wheels, then it might make it a little more difficult. So it's not a case of just looking at the weight. Those are the, the things that actually make the difference of how difficult the, the vehicle pull is going to be. Why a truck? What, what, what's, what was the inspiration behind this? What, what, why have you wanted to take this on? What, what, what gave you the idea? Well, I just trucks are hard to pull. This is a, a well-known thing, and I enjoy pulling things in training like uh, prowler pulls, sled pulls and I did the, the car pull marathon two years or so ago and I really enjoyed it I thought it was great fun but you see it's not that hard pulling a car it's, it's it is more of an endurance thing most people could move a car like I could I could push a car when I was a kid when when uh, like my mum's car would break down or we wouldn't start in the mornings even when I was in primary school I'd get behind it and give it a push and to push start it uh, so it's not actually that difficult to to tow a car but the tow a lorry requires a lot more strength and power which 
you know, it was obviously not needed for the car, so it was a slightly different thing. But I think it was kind of a, a progression from the carpool. Yeah, so, I mean, how did it differ then from the carpool? So you pulled a regular car, 26.2 miles. Yeah. And how long did that take? Well, a long time. Um, it was about 21, 22 hours to do that, but I wasn't in a, a rush to do that. There yeah. was We took our time with it because um, we had the track for 24 hours. So I said, as long as I do it in 24 hours, that's fine. So I was quite chilled with that one. This one, I was in a bit of a rush to do. Um because I also did it in, with the truck ball. I also did it in the middle of a holiday as well. So <laughs> People are waiting to go on holiday. They want the yeah. runway back, Max. Yeah, that's they it. They want to yeah. fly off to Tenerife. So <laughs> I, d- I didn't have the, the runway for as long this time. So I only had it for a few hours. So I had to do it in a, a lot quicker of a time. And how long did that take? Six hours for Six two hours. miles. And that was just two miles. So I think that actually shows the, the, the level up of this one. So like just for just two miles... And from what I saw, you you were really busting a nut on it. You you were oh, really yeah. going for it. Yeah, um, I was sick a couple of times. You were sick. Yeah. And what what, what was that? Was that a was that a, a muscle lactate thing or was it a, a lung thing? What? I I don't know. It was a combination. It was just full body shock, I think, because it's like you're going all out, and I mean you're all out. It's it's really hard. Like your heart rate goes up to the roof. You're so out of breath. It's after a few seconds of pulling, and then you stop. And it was just rest for a few minutes. Repeat, rest of a few minutes, repeat, repeat, repeat. It was like hardcore intervals, but like really, really hardcore mm. intervals. And after the first kind of few, I'd had a massive breakfast in the morning. That's normally what I do before these challenges. I have a huge breakfast to try and keep me going. I had this massive breakfast. And I could just feel it coming up. Uh. And I wasn't sure if I was having a heart attack at first. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so like after each pull, I'd have to go and kind of sit down on the floor. And I was thinking, right, just try and rest, bring my heart back down. Or try and uh, sit, sit on the mat with legs elevated. Try and just take the strain off the heart because that's what, what, what was happening at first. And then it got to about uh, maybe a third of the way through, and I was like, "Yeah, the inevitable's going to happen." So I went, <laughs> went over to the bushes and I was just throwing up in the, in the on the side of the airfield. For, but I felt alright after that. But then I realised then that I my whole plan of keeping myself car um, fueled up. Which I'd use for the car pole marathon. You might have seen with the other ones, whether um, the other challenges. I've always kept myself fueled up. I've had a Domino's pizza, or I've had you know something. Calories in something to get the calories in. So Mm. with this time, then I realised, oh shit, I can't do that now. I'm gonna have to just resort to simple sugars, um, satsumas. I had um, somebody had given me some um, some little supplements that I could take as well, just to kind of. just to get on board the calories and the protein from those. So I found them really useful as well, but I couldn't put down any solid food. So that kind of changed my plan a little bit after I threw up because I thought it's just going to come back up again then. Yeah. But I was fine enough for that. Um, and it, it was all, well, it, was, it felt like it went a little bit downhill after that. So <laughs> I wasn't too... Rolling downhill? Uh, but it was technically <laughs> flat, but the, once I reached the halfway point, it did seem easier for some reason. I, th- I think maybe there was a very, very slight, it was either flat. I think the first part was... It was zero to one percent gradient, so even that's a noticeable difference. Maybe one percent gradient at the most. It wasn't. It wasn't up a hill by any means, but there was a very, very. So you could see it when you looked at the track. And then after that, there was kind of a little bit of a dip, but I think it was more flat or maybe a very, very slight gradient. But it wasn't like downhill. It wasn't like minus one. It's classed as flat, but mm. it did make a difference for me in terms of pulling it. It's funny because most, I think, when people think of endurance challenges, they. Le- they think of the low and slow sort of endurance challenges, doing 100 miles where you take your heart rate right down and you just go for ages. But this was obviously, 
you were you were maxing the rev counter every time you stepped up and you had to do it time and time again that's a different type of endurance in my eyes I yeah well my heart went up above <coughs> its theoretical maximum several times throughout that I made it many more well, I think pretty much every single interval I was hitting nearly 200 or 200 plus beats per minute Jesus I'm 35 so <laughs> it shouldn't, shouldn't physically be going that high but no. um, yeah so yeah it is slightly different but that's what I like about it I like to pick something heavy or hard but do it for a long time mm-hmm. rather than you know, I'm not interested in doing like a powerlifting competition where you lift one weight at once. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of respect for those guys who do that, but that's not the sort of thing I want to do. But I like to find that kind of moderate, moderate to heavy thing and then just do that repeatedly for a long, longer stage. So I suppose it's not like the strong men, which we discussed last time, wasn't it? So mm. the strong men would pull a truck, but it would be 400 meters or 200 meters or something like that. Foot they generally tend to do. Yeah. But anyway, they're pulling bigger trucks. I mean, they're pulling like 20 ton trucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you've done some other crazy stuff. And I think that I think the one that's that that I've seen has uh, gained the most exposure was your piano carry. So talk to me a bit about that. How did you come up with the idea for that, or what was it? How did you and how did you come up with the idea for that? Yeah, so that was quite a popular one. That went quite international. That one, didn't it? Yeah, I think uh, it's because it, it was so bizarre. It was really, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think it was the time it happened as well. It just happened in the middle of the. You know, the COVID pandemic, everyone, it was, it was just bad news all the time, wasn't there? Mm. And then the restrictions ease a little bit in the UK. And I was just like, right, I need to do this thing now. I've wanted to do it for a while. Basically got a piano and I just carried it up uh, my local mountain. <laughs> just, I just <laughs> so, carried it up my local mountain, to, yeah. To raise money for charity. So it was two miles in total it was carried. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it was raised money for charity on that one, but it's something I've always wanted to do. I read an article back in 2006, 2005, 2006, something oh, like a that. A while ago. Yeah, I read an article about some some Scottish guy, um, Kenny Campbell, I think his name was. So he's an old old, old school Scottish strongman back in the 80s. Uh, what apparently carried like a small, ch- well, a, a church organ. It's a little bit smaller than the one I carried. I think it was weighed about 200. And, 26 pounds from what I remember correctly. I like that sly little dig there. This <laughs> is a little smaller than mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hold it against him. No, no. But he was up Ben Nevis. He carried it up Ben Nevis. That's a high okay. amount. That's a high amount. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I remember that there was a kind of a story where this, this piano was found and there was all these people saying, oh, we did it. A group of removal men said they did it for charity. This um, Kenny Gamble guy said he did it. But no, nobody knows really exactly who did it. I, I think it turns out that the one that was left up there was a bunch of removal guys, but apparently this Kenny Campbell guy, he, he carried it down himself. But anyway, this, this story was in the newspaper, and I thought, oh, that's quite cool. We want to do something like that when I'm a, a little bit older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just thought it was incredible, because the, the strength I used to think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was it. Well, I was in the Marines at the time, so I was fit. And it takes a lot to impress a Marine, because you, you especially when I just passed out training, because you think, oh, I've just done this training. It's supposed to be the hardest basic training in the world. Mm. And then suddenly you're reading this article, and you're thinking, shit, man, how... How much does a piano weigh? Because I did removals for a bit as well back in the day. When I was on leave, I sometimes worked to do a bit of removals for my mate's dad's removal company. I bet you were their best asset. Yeah. Oh, he loved it. It was Fridges <laughs> on your head. <laughs> Why don't we yeah. actually move the piano? And I remember thinking, fuck, man, this piano's heavy. Yeah. Me, me, me and um, my mate's dad, we moved it. And I thought, fuck, that's heavy. So I thought, this guy, he's obviously somehow carried it on his back. And then I thought, right, you know what, I'm going to try something like that one day. Eventually, 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 we did it. Uh, yeah. How how long was the preparation for that? From from when you were like when you decided right, I'm going to do this to 
actual execution, how long was that? Was this something that you decided over a month or two, or was this a long two-month, two-year process? Or it was about a year from mm -hmm. when I started planning and taking action to, to do it. So I find with me, I get the idea, cut pops in the head, and then it normally just sits as an idea sometimes for, well, in this case, years. Mm. But then once you start doing the things, like starting putting things in place, contacting people, getting at piano, mentioning it to people, it just, the ball starts rolling then, and you, it just goes, goes by itself, almost, when the kids at the piano it did anyway. But I started my training program then. I got, I got the piano first, make sure I had, had something, and then I made sure I could actually put it on my back. I had to figure out how to get it, best way to get it on my back mm. and how to attach it to my back, stop it falling off. And then I went, right, I said to my mate, Chris, I said, I'm going to try this this, this thing. Um, I got him along with me just in case, like, it crushed me or whatever. Because yeah. <laughs> I never carried it before. And I, didn't want to, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I got it on my back and I said, look, if I can just walk 20 meters, I will know whether I can do this challenge or not. And that was the same I did with the car. I just, it's that initial kind of gauge, feel out, see how it feels. I walked the 20 meters. So I turned him and I said, yeah, I can definitely do this challenge. I can definitely mm -hmm. do it. So what that enabled me to do then was work out where my kind of strength was and how it felt on my back and then also help me put together a bit of a training program. So I started off just in the gym, lifting weights, completely adapting my training. Started doing a little bit of cardio, not, not too much. We mainly kind of walking up hills. I had this whole thing in place where I was going to do all this amount of weight training. Then I was going to start going up in the hills and doing all this sort of stuff, a pen of van and things like that. But then because of COVID, then that all stopped. So uh, we went to the lockdown, the gym's closed and then you know, we couldn't, drive places seems to go people physically close them all down didn't they Black yeah, and you, vegans, things you, like they had the police up there and st stuck locally wouldn't it? yeah, yeah they, they were policing penavan weren't yeah, they? yeah yeah the roadblocks and all sorts it's crazy because you know people people are stuck at homes they want to get out they go for a walk at penavan where they're not really going to see anyone but then they've been told to turn yeah. back and head home so so how did that affect your training what what did how did you have to adapt it well i just i just shit kind of idea so I think it got to about, I could see it was happening because it was all of the news, wasn't it? So mm. I thought, I'm, yeah, I can just, I can't, I don't think now is an appropriate time to decide I'm going to do this big charity event. <laughs> yeah, I think there'd be issues with... Uh... Yeah, so like sort of February time, I thought, do you know, I can see where this is going. Um, got the march and I can see, oh yeah, we'll get, something's going to happen. It's going to come over here now, isn't it? Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we just kind of shit can the idea. And then I just started doing my own training in the lockdown without the gym. So I got to get a backpack full of weights. Go walk in, find a little bit of space, do my circuit training, walk back, and then I realised, hang on a second, I've been training for this. I'm training to carry something on my back here. Mm. So inadvertently, I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger carrying these weights because I kept putting more and more weight in the backpack. And then eventually, I went right. Hang on, I just start walking up hills. That became my leg training then, because I see that was leg training. So I was walk up the hills with the with the weights and eventually then it would just be walk up the hill with the weight maybe do some pull-ups at the top of the hill or do some bent over rows shoulder presses stuff like that mm. to the point where it became well my my mode of transport to the workouts then became my workout so i'd go right i'm just going to walk up the hill but this time i'm going to put 90 kilograms in and i'll try and get to the top of the hill and next time 100 kilo, you know, and so on i just kept increasing the weight and it, it was some tough workouts that's, like, <laughs> that's like my weight oh, God, it was tough, like, yeah. And what, yeah. How, how, how far was your commute to work um, to work out. Uh, well, to work out, yeah. It would depend. I think it would depend what route I was going. But when I was doing the walking with weights, maybe about six kilometers. So, uh, so yeah, six or seven kilometers, I think it was, mm. uh, that we were doing. We were doing some steep hills. Um, I remember one point I said to, said to my girlfriend, we went for a walk together. We'd go for a walk together, she, and I'd have a backpack on. Um, and she'd be in it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but probably could fit him in it actually. But yeah, so we'd walk. And I remember one time I had the 90 kilograms in there and I just said to her, right, can you go back get my car? <laughs> oh, really? And I'll meet you at the top of the hill because it was just like, I knew I could get to the top of the hill, but I was thinking coming down, I, I, it was, it wasn't the type of training I wanted to be doing anyway, it was coming down, but um, it was one of the train going up. I said, look, meet at the top of the hill and we'll we'll go up there. But we'd gone the long route round as well, see? So I kind of, I'd say underestimate, I knew it was going to be painful, but there was no kind of places to rest. You can't, if you take the 90 kilogram rucksack off and you try and put it on your back, you can't, you can't do it. You need to, because the strap will rip. You can't just, you can't lift up 90 kilograms with one arm, throw it on your back and pop the arm No, I, I think people, they need to appreciate that because obviously during your 100K, 100 kilometer challenge, where you carried 100 kilometers on your back, uh, no, you carried 100 <laughs> kilometers, you carried 100 kilograms on your back over 100 kilometers. Now I came out to support you on for a little bit like yeah. that and you let me feel the weight of the bag. And, and this is how heavy it is, guys. It's, it was lying in your boot and I couldn't even lift it up. Like it, it's that heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, you're quite right. If, you've, if you rest and take that bag off and you haven't got the proper supports or mm. you know, shelving, like a little step or something, yeah. you ain't putting it back on. No, no, no. <laughs> so yeah. how, how, what kind of pressure did that add to when you're doing this, these, this training? Uh, it just made it real painful. Just really painful. It was just pure pain some days. But some days were harder than others. Mm -hmm. um, and what, what I was finding was as well, was my, the, uh, not much padding in my rucksack. So it was just something I was digging in. And that was the pain sometimes. Not so much the legs or the heart or the lungs. It was... Dig it, the pain digging in, cutting the blood flow off the arms. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. And you're in new awkward positions, you're having to go in and things like that to counterbalance the weight. Because mm. it's, it's different to lifting a weight. Like you think it's oh, 90 kilograms, 100 kilograms, whatever. You think you put on a barbell back squat. It's, it's different to that because the load is well, not so spread out, but it, it projects off your back a little bit. So it is different to lifting weights in the gym. Um, but yeah, they were quite painful. <laughs> Obviously, during uh, endurance events as well, it's because it's because it's for so long, because they're for hours. So, uh, for example, a, a one is uh, joggers chafe, you mm. know? So like you could go for a 20-minute run and your shorts wouldn't cause a problem because, you, but because you're doing it for hours. That little niggle over time gets worse and it can chafe your legs. What kind of chafing <laughs> were you getting? Were you getting pains? Were you, was anything being highlighted? Um because on the piano carry, you had some nasty cuts on your back, yeah. if I remember correctly. So what, what was that yeah. from? That was from just the, the piano, the wood. Mm. Um, there's like wooden grooves on the back of the piano. That was just the weight of them digging in. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But you had like a little yoga mat, and that did right, nothing yeah. really. Well, I it thought must have done something. Well, no, yeah, that's why I swapped then, because we had that little support van, didn't we, for that? Mm. So I thought of everything. Uh, everything I could think of, I might need a yoga mat at some point. So I just threw that in there. Yeah. I thought maybe do some stretches or some, or whatever. Or if I collapse, it's <laughs> wait for the ambulance to come and get me. Something warm to lie on. Um, but yeah, it turns out then, so my girlfriend was like, right, you need to put something on the back, a bit of padding. I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing it. Because my, my friend was, was just, um, I was talking with my friends about what I could do beforehand. They were saying, no, would you get a life jacket and stick the life jacket on there for padding? And I was like, I could do. But then in the end, I thought, no, nah, I'll just, I'll just chuck the piano on my back, minimal kit. Yeah. I had to do things as hardcore as I can. So my my girlfriend was like, yeah, Max, you've got to put something on the back. <laughs> you weren't happy with the cuts I was getting. There was blood coming out at one point, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> so I, mean, I, and I was like, yeah, no, no, no. But then she made me do it. So I, I put this um, this kind of uh, yoga mat 
on the back and it just put a bit of padding on there and it was real nice. But we could have wearing a t-shirt because it was summer, wouldn't it? So we could have wearing a t-shirt. If I'd worn maybe a jacket or something, it probably would have had that padding mm. on top. But. Now, I've seen you do a few challenges and you're so, I'd say, I'd say you're focused, but you're also sort of, you're quite jovial. You're not like deadpan focused, blinkers on. You're still talking to people and have a little laugh, but you're, you're not phased by anything. For example, blood coming out your back because of the piano <laughs> grazing. <laughs> how have you, how have you built up this approach? Like, how, how is it? How does it not phase you? It's just the more you do it, like you know, it's, when I was in the Marines, for example, you, you'd have to do all these things. We'd have to be non-emotional. Like you wouldn't, you weren't allowed to be like grunting or huffing and puffing. You just weren't allowed to do it, and. So in the Marines training, that was just all it was. We were just day after day after day after day, just doing tough things. And you just get tougher to it. And like, you, your body gets stronger, your mind gets stronger. Whereas now I can let a little bit of emotion if I want to now, if I want to, like from in the gym or whatever, I'm lifting weights or maybe do a bit of a grunt or whatever here and there. Mm. But the Marines aren't allowed to do that. So um, I think it just comes from that. It's just having that and having the, 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 the sense of humour in adversity, in the face of adversity, which is a commando, um, kind of part of the commando ethos. So what's that, that sense of humour in yeah, the face of adversity? Yeah. Yeah, it's when things are shit. You have a laugh about it. Yeah, there's and no it problem crying about it. Yeah, so. well, it gets you through. It gets you through tough times, just having a bit of a laugh about things. Um, and I was always the same when things were things were tough. You know, you look at me and go, fuck, this is yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have a laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, literally, yeah. But there's, there's no point in... Um, What's it? You, you did a really interesting video once um, about a mindset, um, mm. and you, you, you'll remember this. So you had a circle of things that are outside of your control, and it was a big circle. These are all things outside of your control, and then in the in the center there was a small circle. And said these are the things you can control, and you said it was. I'm paraphrasing. It was something along the lines of, "There's no point in worrying about all this that's outside of your control." You may as well just concentrate on the stuff you can control. So I suppose that's the point. If if things are going wrong, but they're outside of your control, there is no point in stressing, right? You just just focus on what you can do. Have the have the positive mindset around it. Is is that what the video was about? Did I get that right? That that, that video was about that. Yeah, yeah, it was just about saying, look, you know, there's all these things going on in the world you can't control. Why are you getting stressed out about them? But then you have got these things you can control, which can make things, you know, a little bit better mm. for you, um, you know, directly and indirectly. Now, talking of things in your control, you are a meticulous planner when it comes to these uh, challenges. So when I helped you with the piano chance challenge, before I started, you sent me over a, a little manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many pages it was, like 10, 20 pages or something <laughs> of like health and safety, description, equipment, how we're doing it, who's doing it, when we're doing it, if this happens this, if this happens that. Um, Talk to me about that. So where, where's that come from, this planning, and, and how does it help? Right, well, um, we've always got to remember the seven Ps, haven't you? Prior uh, preparation planning prevents piss poor performance. So mm. that's something that's come from the Marines as well. You've always got to plan, and like, you go on an operation, it'd always be a plan, there'd always be uh, actions on, it'd always be contingencies, it'd always be if something happens, you do this. If that happens, you do this. If this happens, you do that. So I think it kind of stemmed from that. But then I had forgotten about that, because I left the Marines in 2009. I'd forgotten about all. I went off and I became a civilian. I started doing all my all security and all these other things I was doing. I'm working in gyms and stuff like that. So I just forgot all that. And then I started doing the challenges. 
So my first challenge then was the triple challenge. I didn't train for it at all. I just went, some guy on on uh, on YouTube just basically challenged me and said, I said, what, what video should I make next? Um, so I do a thousand pull-ups. So I do a uh, carry 200 pounds up the highest mountain in the area, in the southern UK. Or shall I do the parachute regiment 10 mile run? I think it was a 10 mile Paris run. Para 10. Para 10 Paris miles. 10, carrying 55 one. pounds or something like that. And so we just went, yeah, let's do all of them. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the comment popped up and I went, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I went in the shower then and I was watching my, watching my hair and all that. And, uh, no, what hair? Oh, you know I'm lying. You know I'm lying. No, <laughs> scrubbing right. my back, yeah. lathering myself up. Yeah. And I just thought, God, oh, fuck it. Just do it. Just give it a go. Do through these three challenges. Do it. Raise some money for charity because... It was the first time I'd really done a charity challenge. I did some, I ran a half marathon in 2000, some time ago. Um, but it was the first time I'd done a charity challenge for a while. So I raised somebody's challenge, put myself to my paces, and I just said to him, Look, I'm not going to train. So I went online, online and I said, Look, I'm not going to train for it. I'm going to do it on my next day off, which is in like two days' time. So I finished work for the day, went home, right, up early in the morning now, and just try to crack all three. So with no planning? No planning, no training, no. Prepping my food, no prepping my waters, no prepping uh, electrolytes or nothing, no warm kit or whatever. So I just went into the Paris 10 mile to begin with. So I didn't do a great time on that because I wasn't a runner. I did all right. Um, and then I went straight to Penavan. Did carry 200 straight pounds. After. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, so I got, I got home, unpacked my kit, and I changed my clothes, I think, because I was sweating so much. And then maybe I had a shower. Went straight to Penavan, started take, hauling the 200 pounds up there. But like that, that was didn't go well because I had the, the rucksack didn't really fit the weights in. Whereas now I've got a military burger that I use to put any kind of weights in. But I had a civilian pack, so I was trying to pack it in there, and I was like, "Fuck, I can't fit all these weights in there." And like my warm kit, and my water, and my food. So I was like, "Okay, what do I take out?" So I took my warm kit out. So I didn't have much food on me anyway. I got a Snickers bar or something like that. So I kept that in there. <laughs> I had my water in there, and then I, I went up the top with this, and yeah, I regretted it. Because I hadn't planned the routes, I didn't. I'd never been at Penavan before, so I didn't know where I was going. So that made it more challenging. Then I got back and I didn't have any food prep and started doing a thousand pull-ups. And yeah, I was just fucked. I How did that made affect it. you? Did like, what were you physically drained? Yeah, just drained. Yeah, and then I got cold on on the mountain as well because I didn't have my I didn't have my clothes, my warm clothes on me because that's the thing is you're walking so slowly. And it got to the point where I was getting higher up, I had to take more and more breaks, so I'd have to stop, put the pack off. And then your body temperature was just, well, my body temperature was getting colder and colder and colder. Because when you're doing these kind of challenges and you're really pushing your, your body to its limit, it, you, you need to keep warm. That's what you might find, you might see at the end of races, the, the runners, they, they put the silver um, mm. uh, foil, foil blankets on to, to retain their heat because their body essentially goes into shock once they're doing that. So you just got to keep yourself warm mm. when you go into shock. So I wasn't keeping myself warm. So I was just, yeah. So I was just going downhill. I wasn't eating properly. Didn't have, it was well under the amount of calories I should have eaten. I kept hydrated. But, you know, my body was going into shock in terms of that. And it was just like, whoa, you know, I hadn't trained for this at all or anything. So it was just became a case of just being like, you know, mind over matter. I've just got to, <laughs> I just got to get it done. You know, I had people stopping me and going, you okay, mate? You okay? You're, you're blue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, was right. just like, I was just like, yeah. 
we were charity challenge and the one guy at the top was really funny because I thought right I'm going to get the photo at the top just to make sure no one thinks I've cheated so I'm going to show them I've got this pack of dumbbells at the top of the van so I dragged it at the top and then the guy appeared out of nowhere and just went well that's either a very heavy backpack or you're incredibly weak because <laughs> I was struggling to put it up there and I was like yeah it's full of dumbbells he was like oh okay and I walked off <laughs> yeah so you've, le- you've definitely learned your lesson since then well since then I thought yeah look you can either make these challenges it's the challenge is stay- stays the same whatever it is um, uh, I-, I call it adding percentages to things and I-, I write about this in my book as well about what you add percentages to it there probably is some psycholo- psychological tactic that some psychologist has coined or whatever but I just think I've made up Whereas you just add percentages to things. So you get your challenge, which is you know, 100%. And then you just go, right, okay, if I do this, if I plan my meals properly, I'll add a couple of more percentages to it. If I, add a little, if I make sure that my back is my backpack is packed up you know, in the best way possible, that's going to add a few percentages is to it. Per- like percentages of uh, chance of completion? Or just like, percentages so to make it easier for me. Right, to make it easier. Yeah, okay. to, to make it easier for me. Or like if, if I just wanted to do nothing, then it's going to be super hard. It's going to be 100 so I, I just say I'll add a little bit more percentage to my um, to, to my chance of success. You know, make sure you got the right boots and stuff like that. Make sure you got yeah. some clean, you know, spare socks. These sort of things, like um, you know, blister control and stuff like that. So say if you you've got like with the hundred kilogram challenge, I found it's my feet that were hurting the most at the end of it. But I was stopping and changing socks regularly. But if I just gone, ah, do you know what? Who cares about my feet? I'll just let myself get blisters. I'll just let myself, you know, they were turning blue. Do you know what I mean? From the weight and the and the heat. Mm. And they were getting just so sweaty. The water was coming outside the boots. I've never seen that before. So if I hadn't been changing my socks, then I would have got a mild form of immersion foot, which I don't know if you've ever had immersion foot before, but it makes things very painful. So Is that like a trench foot? Or? It's like a mild form of trench foot, yeah. So yeah. you get immersion foot first from being submerged in water for a long period of time. It goes all hard and um, scaly. Well, after it dries, it gets hard and starts cracking. But beforehand, it goes like a really weird, um, uh, like bluey, Lovely. Yeah, they don't look nice, but it don't. But it makes every step hurts. Then, mm. but I, I could have just been made worse if I just not changed my socks. So it's little things like that. Having those things in place, it does. Do you know what's funny? It's it's <clears> the, it's something so small as well. So you're saying just changing your socks. Mm. For, well, for, for example, if we're say if we're talking about an endurance run, how how something so small as a blister mm. on a heel can stop you in your tracks and put an end to your a challenge attempt and um, I suppose you, you've got to have the you've got to respect the challenge and you've just you've got to have the it's not intelligence but I don't know, maybe sort of self-awareness about yourself and how the things around you yeah I think it comes out of foresight and experience it comes mm. to just being able to see a problem before it happens and like things about blisters I learned that in the marines about blisters like I had some real nasty blisters at the start of recruit training, mm. real bad ones, and I had one, one about the size of a two pound coin that just ripped off on a Ugh. in the first week. Yeah, first week of training, so it was like, oh god, I've just started on the first week, and now I've got this massive hole in the back of my foot, which meant yeah. <laughs> everything was painful. Great, um, you know, but then you need to find ways to manage them. Then you zinc oxide tape. You, you know, where you're going to get the blister. You're going to get the blister there, so you just put a bit of zinc oxide tape on there before you go and do your your, your, your nine mile speed march or whatever. Then you know, then you. You're going to mitigate the chance of you getting a blister. You're not 100% going to stop it, but yeah. reduce the likelihood of you getting it, which then makes that a little bit easier. You don't have to worry about that blister then. You just have to worry about keeping yourself hydrated. It's just one less thing to worry about. Well, exactly. I think, yeah, it's um, <coughs> control. Contro- like, control is a big aspect of mental resilience. It goes back to what we are talking about with the circle. 
Yeah, exactly. What can you control? Mm. Um, and it's those little things. If you can just control all the little things around you, they will all add up, like your percentages, to produce this big thing at the end, which is the successful challenge, I guess. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So you, you used to be a Royal Marine. You are ex-forces and indeed, elite yeah. forces as well. Um, talk to me about, about that. So what, what, what age did you go in? And what, what made you want to, what, to join? Well, yeah, so I joined in when I was 18. Joined the Marines when I was 18. Uh, well, it was something I always wanted to do. Like, I don't want to sound like a cliche that it was something I always wanted to do. But like when, when I was a kid, I used to run around with the, the army men and the little toy guns and things like that. And I used to imagine that I was out and I was actually a proper soldier. Like, I used to imagine that. And then I remember one day, I remember I was reading the, uh, well, I was reading the local newspaper it had a, some guy who just completed the Marines training. I, was, I, I don't know how old I was, but I was, you know, I was young. I wasn't in my teens. I was probably before my teens. And I remember seeing this in the paper. And they said, oh, this guy, he's just done these uh, 30, 30 weeks at the time. And it's the hardest training in in, um, in NATO or the world or whatever. Longest basic military training. Really hard. He's got his green berry. And I remember looking at this photo of him and I thought, oh, bloody hell, you know, he's, that looks good. I always think, oh, like, I'd, I'd like to have a stab at something like that when I'm older. And I kind of forgot about that. But I was still, like, when I was out, you know, we'd go around the local um, woods and things like that, running around as a kid. I mean, we used to imagine then that I was actually out on operations. Mm. You know, even though I was you know, probably like 14 or 15, something like that, I used to imagine I was out there, you know, in the swamps or the jungle or whatever. Uh, and then eventually then, you know, I grew up, I started doing other things. And then just one day, I just kind of flipped inside me, just switched. And I was like, do you know what, I'm going to you know, scrap this. I was working in a kitchen, as a, you know, in a restaurant. And I was just chopping a veg and all that sort of thing. I enjoyed it, but then one day I just went, you know, that flip just went, just went, all right, I'm going to go join the, go join the military. And I was going to go join the Navy at first. So I thought, because oh, I was working in the kitchen, I enjoyed cooking, I enjoyed being, I enjoyed the environment, but I thought I can go in the, um, I can go in the, in the Navy as a chef. Like Steven Seagal. Like Steven Seagal under siege, yeah. Under siege, yeah. Maybe that was a factor, right? He probably was, was, actually. He's not just a cook. (laughs) Yeah, ex-Navy SEAL, wasn't he, or something like that. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, you idiot. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good film, actually. It's a brilliant film. Under siege, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it was that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I went there to do it, and I remember remember going to the careers office, and, you know, back in those days, you had to go to the careers, it wasn't all online, you had to go to the careers office, you had to speak to these people, and there was no... You don't have to YouTube. We can go on YouTube and find out about these these things. You have to go to this careers office, speak to the people there, and then they maybe give you a leaflet or they might show you a video. And a guy basically said, "Oh, look, you know, come back at this date. We've got you loaded on like an induction sort of thing, where we'll give you like a presentation on, you know, whatever." So, so say they had like me going along, we wanted to do the the, the the chefs. You had other people who wanted to be like stewards or combat engineers or whatever so they'd have this presentation prepared for everyone who was going to go for, who were interested in those things so I went there at this presentation and it was it was when I was doing my own research I was looking at some of the material they gave me and I was looking through it and I, I saw these photos of the Navy and I thought and I was looking at the photos of the Navy and I thought oh, I don't know if I don't I don't know if that's for me actually and there's a photo of all in New York and they were all like hey and I was thinking okay it looks a bit too it doesn't look like that's my sort of thing like and then I, on the other page, and there's a picture of the Marines. And I thought, hmm. And it was like, you, are, you, are you tough enough or something like that? 99.99% need not apply. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, that was what I wanted to do initially. And then I thought, if I went and joined the Navy, I would be on the ship and I'd be seeing the Marines going off on missions and things like that. And I'd be thinking, fuck, man, I wish I was doing that. 
So then I said to myself, well, why don't you just do that? Fuck the, fuck the Navy, fuck the chef. All respect to them. But I thought, well, I want to be a Marine. I always want to be a Marine. I can do that. I know I can do that. I know I've got to know what it takes. So I went and went to this presentation. <laughs> I really pissed them off, the petty officer, because he goes, all right, so you want to do this, you want to do that. And I said, oh, um, sorry, uh, I, I changed my mind. I want to join the Marines instead. Well, as you turned up to the presentation. As I turned up to the presentation, Brilliant. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just the night yeah. before. I decided. I just changed my mind the night yeah. before. So I said, oh, I'm actually interested in the Royal Marines now, not the, not the chef's branch. He was not happy. Was he not? Because <laughs> they prepped this presentation. Really? I remember he went off to somebody, well, he wants to join the Marines now. <laughs> he thinks he's better than us. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't that. I think he was just pissed off. that He probably he done all this prep for me and uh, and then I'd gone and changed my mind. And anyway, so they, they, they were like, oh, okay, well, there's no Marines here, so we'll have to come back another time. Oh, I can't remember. I, I ended up going there and, they, they, and I speak and spoke to someone another time and they showed me the video. And uh, yeah, just that was it really. That was, that was how I ended up joining up there. So you said Marines um, selection or military or training, uh, what would you call it? Pre training, pre military training? Is we that, got. Is that what it's called? Pre, you got pre you, selection. You've got. Um, well, at the time you had the, the pre joining stuff and all your fitness tests and then yeah. your, your, your three day selection course. And then you start recruit training. That's it, recruit training. Recruit training, so yeah. How long is recruit training? Because you were saying it's the it's one of the toughest in the world, right? Because it's, yeah. it's it's an elite force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marines. Right, commando. Um, so it was thirty. I did thirty three weeks. Hmm. There was like I suppose it was thirty two weeks, but they gave us thirty three because it was just the way it fell in the year or something, and with all the other troops. It was supposed to be 32. It was supposed to be They gave us an extra oh, week. Yeah. Extra week. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it was great. Yeah. Training yeah, I remember we got there day yeah. one. They said, oh, yeah, just, just you know, it's 32 weeks training, but you're going to do an extra week because we've loaded you up a week. They, they, at the time, they were loading troops every week, recruit troops every two weeks, sorry. We'll go through every two weeks. It was something to do with, like, Easter leave or something like that. Mm. Um, So the troop that was before me, like you have the first two weeks is called foundation. So the troop that was before me, they only had a week in foundation because then instead of it being two weeks gaps, we came in a week behind them. Mm-hmm. So we were a week behind them in training was instead of the two. So then we ended up doing the two weeks in foundation and then an extra week after that then. And so what were your, what were your expectations going in it? How did it meet those expectations or did it surpass them? Or the, And how did you change? Did you, did you, did you, were you a different person at the end of it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it changes you. It also changes you. You, you go, you're doing stuff which you would never do unless you've joined the military. So you you turn from a civilian into a military. You are a different person. They they mould you to be what they want you to be, and it is. And what sort of stuff were you doing in in, in the training? If it, come on, this is the toughest training. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what what was a typical day? Or I, week I mean, you, it's difficult to say. Every day was different, and it's you know as a cliche, every you know, every day is different. But it, it was some things were the same. Like you'd have you start off, it, but it was all progressive. It wasn't like you go there straight away and like, ah, you got to go do this, you got to do that. It was all progressive. You start off your two weeks, the two weeks is foundation. It's just indoctrinating you into becoming a soldier. So you learn how to do your ironing, you learn how to wash, you learn how to shave. So you really, you really are starting. They take you at the bottom. Level. Yeah. Well, some people aren't taught these things. Some people aren't taught how to wipe their ass. I mean, some people aren't taught it. Mm. Their parents don't tell them. So they start you right at the bottom. How you look after yourself. This is how you, you know, they, get you, they actually show you that by one of the guys they have to strip naked and he would say right so we're going to talk you how to wash so they'd be like wash, wash your bits and stuff yeah, right? you wash, yeah. Your, wash, your, wash your balls wash, uh, wash your ass granted like don't we that 
Yeah. They know this stuff. So he'll actually demonstrate yeah. off one of the guys. So if you're unlucky, you're that person who's got to get his kit off in front of 60 other guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> you've got to wash in front of everyone. You've got to wash oh in front of everyone, God. yeah. They'll just select someone. It's the corporal will do it. And then he'll go, right, okay, you now. I'll talk you through it. You've got to do it. <laughs> but do you know what? I, I, I bet you that, you know, because I'm guessing this is starting at like week one, right? It's like day two or something like that. It's yeah. going to break down all the barriers. Uh, maybe get rid of all your anxieties. All right, you're naked, but like, you're going to think, I can't get much worse than that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just, but you're just glad it wasn't you. <laughs> yeah. They got, they got, yeah, they got picked to strip naked. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that's what, it starts off basic. Like, it starts off with that, how you iron your clothes, you've got to, they set standards and you've basically got to pass those standards by the end of the two weeks. Well, you got inspections in your room every day and, you know, you do something wrong. Or if you you know your stuff's not in the correct order, you get beasted, punished for it. So the point is then that by the end of the two weeks, you're not getting beasted because you've done everything proper. Oh, you're gonna learn. Yeah. You, you learn. Yeah, you learn <laughs> the hard way. Yeah, and you learn yeah. quickly because you think, "Fuck, I got to do this properly," because otherwise, you know, do what they can do to me. Yeah. They're gonna make my life ten times harder. So you know, and all you want to do is sleep. So they might just say, like, you know, you've got an inspection tonight, or they might make you get your kit all muddy until ten o'clock at night, and then be like, right, okay, six o'clock in the morning now. That needs to be spotless. All that kit needs to be dry. But you, you haven't got washing machines. You haven't got tumble dryers. So you've got to do it all by hand. Scrub it by hand. Wring it out to dry it. Yeah. Put it up. You've got, a, you've got a drying room, which is basically a, a warm room. It's like a sauna. You, you put, it, put it in there. And it's hopefully dry, iron it dry. You know, you're doing all sorts of things to try and get your clothes dry. You know, you're ironing it just as soon as it comes out of the wash to try and get the, the steam of the iron or just yeah. take the water out. You look, you try and find all these little shortcuts to try and make life easier for you just so you get an extra hour of sleep. Oh, really? It's all <laughs> yeah. about the sleep. All, you're so tired. You're like a zombie. You're just walking around tired all the time. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, it's all night. You know, polishing your boots. You've got to ball your boots. You, know, you don't think about that. It's not all physical. It is you're just there sometimes to ball your boots to get them how shiny they've got to be takes hours and hours and hours of just repeating this movement here with water and a polish. Just little things like that. It just mm. takes up your time. It's and good then, prep though, isn't it? It's like, good prep. The next day they tell you a shit and you're like... These, it's these little things. It's these... You've Some people might feel these are menial tasks, but they're not because it's self-care. Mm. And it's like you were talking about the control. Mm. Is that This is going to prevent any problems cropping up Later, even but, the washing, right? Washing yourself. Well, yeah. You could get infections or something. Well, down, that's down what they do it. Yes. So if you're on operations and you're, when you say you're operations, it's not like you, you, you haven't just got the hospital you can go to. You can't just go, oh, fuck, oh, I've got an infection now. Mm. I'll just go back. You know, you're out away from it all. Do you mean the, heli- the helicopter was taking you off hours and hours and hours and hours away from, from the base, dropped you off, and you're there by yourselves, unsupported, for, you know, weeks at a time. So you've got to be able to look after yourself. Mm. Well, not just that, it's discipline as well. It's discipline and it's also resilience because if you imagine then that you've just spent three hours bullying your boots, you've had three hours sleep there and you get up and then the corporal comes and looks at it and says, that's fucking shit. And he scrapes all the polish off. I want that better by tomorrow. But, you know, you've got to do your whole work in day first. You, you know, you'll start that again at eight o'clock at night maybe to be ready then for six o'clock in the morning next day. You know, it disheartens some people because they think, oh, fuck, man, what's the point? I've just spent all night doing that, it wasn't good enough, is it going to be good enough tomorrow? No, probably not. It's never good enough. You think it was never going to be good enough and it feels like that. But then you've just got to keep doing it and keep doing it and doing it knowing that you will get better. Do you reckon time. that will, um, that must build a, a resilience and a, 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 you know, a certain mindset as well is that don't take it personally, be willing to just let things go and start again. Mm. I suppose, did, did you see people that struggled with um, that's, you know, accepting, but say, you say the corporal said, right, that's rubbish. 
Let's start again. Did you see anyone struggle, you know, and go, oh, for God's sakes? And Oh, yeah. You, well, well, people are tired. Yeah. People are tired. And, you know, and that's the thing is people are tired. And that's what happens. People flash. That's what we used to call it. They flash. Oh, fuck's sake. Is that what it's called? So it's yeah, they flash. flash. Is yeah. it like the flash of anger or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, it wasn't a done thing. You weren't, you know, you weren't allowed to flash. Like, they'd be like, oh, <laughs> you flash. People would like, they'd take the piss out of you, whatever. Like, if it was afterwards. But, um, but yeah, you, you know, you weren't allowed to flash. You wasn't a, you couldn't do it because the idea was you supposed to be able to keep you, you keep it cool. And, mm. uh, you know. I suppose it's some controlling emotions. I mean, Stoic philosophy talks, one of the main things about Stoic philosophy is controlling your emotions. Now, a lot of people get that, uh, they misinterpret that as, um, not having emotions and that's why i think sometimes the stoic philosophy maybe get say uh, a bit of bad press because people assume oh yeah it's, you're not allowed to uh, show your emotions because they talk about a lot with you know men not being allowed to show their emotions but it's actually you're allowed to have emotions but you've got to control them and you've got to use them for your benefit and don't let them work against you yeah and i suppose that's what the flashings is isn't it it's like you've let your emotions get the better of you there and that you know, you're, you're doing it now in training, which is relatively safe. It's a safe environment. environment, yeah. If you do that out in a dangerous environment, that flash could actually get you in trouble or worse, it could get people killed, I guess, yeah. right? In well, yeah, that's what it's all about. That's why every single thing they do in a training is for a reason. And like I say, like they, some guys contact me sometimes and they say, look, they're looking to join or whatever. What's the best thing to do? I just say, look, listen to what your instructors are telling you. <laughs> just listen to them don't you know there's no kind of hack there's no kind of um you know do this before and obviously you work on your fitness and things like that you'll see you work on your fitness but you don't need to go learning all the military skills and things like that you know, learn a bit about the, the marines learn a bit about the military learn a bit of history and things like that but there's no kind of i'll oh, try and learn all the skills trying to learn everything because they're going to teach you that and everything they do is to make you more disciplined, to make you stronger, to make you a soldier by the end of it. Um, and it's, you know, the program's there for a reason. It gets better and better all the time. They, they mm. learn off mistakes and the experience, well, it's hopefully, you know, should, should still be there, um, that they know what they're doing. So I just say to them, look, you just listen to them. Don't try and second guess them. Don't think, oh, they're doing this just because they're being dickheads or whatever. There's always going to be a reason for everything. Always going to be a reason. Do you, did you find anyone in there with maybe an ego? that uh, would have been detriment to their training? You know, they, they may, perhaps they think they know best rather uh, than the instructors? Um, I, I, no, I, th I think all them sort of, people had egos. You know, you've got, you've got a room of 60 guys, you know what I mean? There's going to be a lot. Of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and everyone yeah. there is, you know, they're, 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 they're footballers. They're, you know, they're good footballers. They're people at the top. They're all at, you know, at the top of the, you know, none of them are like, you know, people down the bottom of, you know, at their social circles, they were all like, you know, up quite quite high, I'd say, you know, in terms of their alphaness or whatever. As they say, alpha, alpha males is what they mm. call them these days, wouldn't they? So everyone was like that kind of thing. So like, I was a bit of a grey man, so I was very quiet. I was very kind of just kept myself myself. You had, you know, some guys who just wanted to swing, swing their dicks around sort of thing. Like, I mean, you did get that. But, you know, they're always put in a place. So, yeah, you know, they, they knew the, the pecking order was they were in right at the bottom. When you're a recruit, you're right at the bottom. I mean, you are. You've got to, and especially when you start as well, you've got to wear a little orange kind of tag on you, so everyone knows that you're right at the bottom. <laughs> it's like on, um, you know, when you get those toy guns and they got yeah. the orange ends. Yeah, I suppose yeah, yeah. it's like that. It's yeah. like, this guy ain't dangerous yet. Like he's, yeah. he's a toy. <laughs> yeah. So you've got you got that packing all the limstone. You've got you've got green beret. You know, you're you're it basically out there. That's what from a recruit's perspective, anyway. But then you wear a little 
blueberry, you're a crew, you're a nod. That's what they call you, a nod. So, um, yeah, you're nothing, really, yeah. until you've got that greenberry. I'm just going to check my phone, make sure it's still recording. Okay, have some water. Yeah, get some water. Yes, we're still recording. Oh, we're still recording, plenty of battery, fantastic. So, how long were you in the military, um, in the Royal Marines? Oh, um, four and a half years. So, yeah. A big shift. And what, what year did you leave? 2009. And uh, what, were you, what were the reasons why you left? How come you um, went into back into civilian life? At the time, it felt like good reasons, but they probably weren't that good. I think I just had enough. I get bored of things. So, I mean, really, it probably would have been the ideal career for me because it does move around all the time. It was a multitude of factors, really. I think I was just wanted to go and do other things. Um, wanted to go do private security. Uh, what else do I want to do? Want to spend more time with my girlfriend, although ironically we split up <laughs> like around about the same time. And I think as well as they had, um, they were you get pinged for a draft unless you because you got to specialise. You're only a general duty rifleman for two years at most, sometimes less. But I was quite lucky. I was a general duty rifleman for like three years. So I got this extra kind of year. Uh, and then, But what happens then is they find these little drafts, um, like a driver or a signaller, which people don't want to go and do. So they, they just select you from the pool. They say, right, you're now a driver. Because after two years, you're supposed to say, I want to be a sniper. I want to be a driver. I want to be a clerk or whatever. And then you go and do that. But then there's the, the, the unpopular drafts. Like snipers always fall because everyone wants to be a sniper. So they're always full. They're never pinging people. But then things like driver, people don't join the Marines to be a driver. People don't join the Marines to go and work in the stores. They don't join the Marines to be a clerk and work in the office. Do you know what I mean? So these drafts, they, they, you, you get pinged then for that. So I got selected to be a driver and a, a signaler, both at the same time, interesting enough. And I was like, oh, I've had enough of this. I'm not doing that. Mm. Um, and then I, so I just put my notice in. So, Would you have uh, ever been tempted with special forces tryouts? Did, did you feel you were on that level or did you have a desire or just not interested? Uh, I mean, looking back, it would have been nice to have tried something like that. I think at the time, I don't think I was at that level. Um, but look, looking back, maybe my fitness probably could have been. I think my fitness could have been. No, I, I don't know. I think at the time, it didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do. I think I made my decision early on in my career that I was only going to do um, four years. Mm. I think it was in the first year. I just went, oh, do you know, I'm gonna, I don't want to do this forever. I'm gonna do this for four years and then leave. I think it was just the team I was in. But we, I went into a real good team then towards the end, and I think I enjoyed it so much. And then people started moving away, and we, we all got kind of split up. And I think I thought, oh, do you know what? I don't know. If I can't be bothered moving around again because that's how it worked in the Marines. You'd, you'd have a, a team, and then you'd move around. One person leaves, someone else would fill up, and you're constantly moving around. So I, I think I just. I made my decision early on that no, I don't want to do anything further than what I'm doing now. Then... A lot, yeah, do you know what? Pe people make it a lot of times. Doesn't whether you're in the army or maybe you've got a job or you're in school, but it is the people around you. You get the, this team yeah. around you, and then when they start drifting away, as you know, as, as teams often do, or say if it was a job, people get other jobs, they move away. It does it. That thing that you loved so much, it just loses its appeal a bit mm. doesn't it so i can imagine that's what that's how it maybe affected you is like well it's not as fun anymore i ain't got my mates so yeah drifted off and i mean but that's the thing with the marines is you can literally meet another marine and you'd be best mates like that which is really weird because just you've got your your uh united by that one thing which is by the fact you've both got the green berry 
you would just suddenly be best mates. And then you might never see them again after that. So it's just quite funny because you have real good friends, you make real good friends, and then they'll get a draft somewhere, and then you don't see them again. <laughs> it's really weird. But you know, when you look at it, but that was normal for me. See, that was, you look back at it now and think, oh, that's weird. Probably weird now. But, um, you know, you wouldn't miss them or anything. You'd just be like, oh, yeah, see you later. Well, it's just how it works. Might, might, yeah. might be, you know, but then you bump into them randomly in like a coffee shop in, in, in Muscat. You know, man, and you're like, oh, well, I haven't seen you for five, six years. <laughs> what are you doing here on a beach in Sri Lanka? Do you know what I mean? You're bumping into these random people you haven't seen for years. So it's just, this is the way it is. The military's a weird one. The Marines are a weird one uh, in that respect. So you just make friends with, with people so easily. Now, obviously, after the Marines came your YouTube channel. So people that don't know, Muscle World Fitness on YouTube, there'll be links below here. Go and check it out. It's, you've grown, you started a little YouTube channel for fitness challenges, was it not? And then it's now grown into something that's had, was it 5 million views or? Oh, nine million, nine, nine, nine and a half million people. Nine and a half million yeah. people. That's that's three times Wales over population. There's three, yeah. I think three million people in Wales. That's three Wales countries. They've watched my ugly mug I've on watched, camera. I watched you do push-ups and pull-ups <laughs> and all this. Like, yeah. so, 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 like, how's it going? Are you enjoying it? And and how did it come about? Yeah, no, I'm enjoying it. I think it's just just a fun way of putting ideas that I have to life. So. Like sometimes you, I think about doing these random things, random challenges or whatever, or make a, or, I think I'm quite creative, I guess, in that respect. But YouTube is this platform. I think it's great. It's a platform that you can do that. Whatever you want to do, film it, make a video and put it out there. And what I found as well at the time, was back when I first started, it was like 2014 or 15, something like that, was that I found that if I needed to use, hire a place or use something or have other people involved or whatever, I would say I was going to try and do this thing. They'd be like, no, just weirdo. Why is, why is he coming to do this? But then when, as soon as I said, look, I'm trying to do a, a video for my YouTube channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah, come and do it. It's fine. I have some free stuff as well. So it was, it, was, <laughs> it was like, it just completely changed the whole dynamic. And it's like people are getting more accepting of the fact that you can, I think people are more accepting these days that you can just go off and do whatever you want. Whereas like if some of the videos I'm making now, if I put them up 15 years ago, I'd have been called a weirdo. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I still am called a weirdo now, so I think it's cool, but um, I don't want to be normal. But yeah, I think it's just a way that you can go, right, I've got these ideas and put it down. It's a modern way of writing a book, I think. You know, because you people start or tell a story or... Oh my lord. What happened there? Microwave. Microwave. Microwave? <laughs> Microphones down. It's fine. We're still recording. We're back in business. Yeah, we're back in business. Sorry, guys, if that was loud. <laughs> I'll sit on it to make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, so I, th- I just think it's like a modern way of writing a book or writing a story where you put a, th- put a story together or you create something. I think it's all putting a play together, something like that. I think it's just an easy way, an accessible way for anyone to be able to do it because all you need is your mobile phone or, or whatever. I mean, I've upgraded my cameras and my microphones and my lighting and stuff like that so I can do a full-on professional shoot if I wanted to. Um, but it's just a really easy way and a fun way to just to do things after fun with it. Did you expect it to get where it is today? Um, like, what, what were your first expectations going in? Was... No, I, I don't think so. I think it was just it was just a format for me to upload things. Like some of my upload earlier videos I've just deleted anyway or I put up there for a few weeks and then just changed my mind, deleted it and took it down. Mm. So some of my earlier stuff's just not there. And I did experiment with a few different channels and I made my own channels where I posted I was posting other people's content as well. But that was going back into like 2010, I think when YouTube first started. And I remember they asked me if I wanted to monetize it. And I was thinking, okay, I could try this, but because I was using third-party content, I, put the, I thought better of it. 
Uh, so now I'm making my own content and I can monetize it, which is good. So you can make money for doing things you enjoy, which I think is fantastic. Um, but um, yeah, I never thought it would go that way. I didn't see it in that way. It was different, I think, because now people aspire to be YouTubers now. Like a lot of the younger generation, they, they actually aspire to do that because they've seen how successful some people are. And YouTube is a much, you know, it's grown massively from where it was, you know, 15 years ago or so. Mm. So I think back then it was just, oh, I'll upload it, put it on there. Social media wasn't as big. It wasn't such a thing. But now social media has literally taken over everything. <laughs> Everything's on social media it is now. Everything, yeah. I'll tell you what's scary. I get these reports on my phone. It tells me how long I've been on my phone. Mm. I think like averaging like three to four hours a day. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is you, you, sometimes you've been productive on there. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like if you're, well, you're responding to work emails on there. It's yeah. not that you just sat there scrolling through Facebook and not you're not being productive in that time. Yes, I am responding to work emails. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. Well, it's like I had a notification from YouTube, and it was like you've responded to over ten thousand comments or ten thousand comments. And I, was, and I was like, like in one year, I was like, bloody hell, it must take a long time. It's, yeah, it must have taken me a lot of time to type all these messages. I bet. But you don't realize until you get that statistic coming through at the end of the year, and they say, oh, you responded to these amount of comments. Bloody hell. No, you've, you've sp- spoken about uh, before in the past and in our original interview. Do you remember the original interview you did for Rockman back in over a year ago? Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Interview. yeah. You, you spoke about how um, your YouTube channel was a way of giving your life a bit of focus again. You were saying yeah. you, you're maybe not in the best ple- fulfilling jobs. You, yeah. The most fulfilling jobs. You weren't there. They, they, um, and you used this as a way to... I suppose help just yeah get, give you like a bit of direction again yeah purpose and meaning do you, do you, do you want to talk a bit about that yeah yeah so it's a good uh, yeah so that, that's, that's true actually I think because there was there was sometimes and you know what over the years things have changed but like I can't remember what specific if it was a specific time in my life I was referring to when we spoke then but what springs to mind now is there was a time when I was working in a job that was quite it was a, it was a good job it wasn't a bad job but like I would just sit there and work and just think, oh man, I, I would, you know, like I can't do this for six days, six days a week. Um, and I just think, unless there's something at the end of it for me to look forward to, something I can do at the end of it, then that'll make it all worthwhile. So that's what I used to do is on my days off, then I'd have something in place. I'd make a video. I'd, I'd do this and do a thing or whatever. I'd, I'd have something planned and I'd build up towards it and I'd have this date set. And then when I was in work, then I'd be excited. Then I'd be like, oh, okay, get the end of the week and I get to do this thing. And then that would happen, and then to go again, the cycle would start again. Right, I'll go do this other thing now. And then that was how a lot of my videos were made initially, was just to give me some kind of purpose, some idea of doing stuff. Because otherwise, I just go crazy. Um, I, th- I don't think that's how it initially started. I, th- I think, you know, that was, no, I think that's also how it initially started as well, was that I wanted to go and do things before, but that's just one that, an instant that sprung to mind then mm. that's quite, you know, fresh in my memory. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I think that was very helpful in that respect. Do you know what? Like, uh, I see that with so many people and it happened to me previously. I mean, we touched on this in our first interview that we didn't record. Um, but I, after leaving school, I got a job. It was the, you know, it's my, as an adult, that's my first job, not school, sorry, after university. So 21, mm. 22, um, you get a job and you join, you join the rat race, right? Yeah, yeah. You're now an adult. You're doing, I had a desk job, nine to five. And like you, it's like, you, you yearn for something more. I think yeah. as as um, as a human, we're not built to be at these desks no. um, nine to five, you know, eight to nine hours a day, longer for some people. Um, sedentary lifestyles, we're not built for it. So like you, 
I was looking forward to the weekend. But unlike you, I was uh, eating eating shit, eating pizzas, getting the curry in. You know, that was how I was looking forward to the week. That was how I was giving my life a bit of enjoyment, you know? Yeah. Um, going out, having drinking, smoking. And after a number of years, I think it was in total, ooh, let me think, probably about six or seven years of doing that. That's that's what That was what my life was. I was living for the weekend, they call it. Um, I got myself into a pretty bad place, actually, um, physically. And it did, I mean, I think we mentioned this last time, is that I didn't think, I don't think I was suffering, you know, uh, men, you know, I don't think, I didn't at the time think my mental well-being was suffering, but it's only in hindsight looking back that it was, it was really affected by this, this lifestyle that I created for myself. Um, and I see this with so many people, like they get stuck um, and they think these little pleasures are the way out of it. They think that they're confusing pleasure with happiness. They are. So they, they're abusing these, um, these vices, these pleasure inducing vices, these drink, these alcohol, uh, you know, drugs or smoking. And and then they get then they get worse mm. and then to mask that they'll do some more and they get in such a vicious cycle a similar thing happened to me and it wasn't until like i had a, a moment where i was like i can't do this anymore like i was really well was, how, how did you get out of it like what what, what did you do to get out well it's uh it's i can't remember the exact moment but it was a, a basically around looking at myself in the mirror and going, what the hell is this? Like, Did you uh, put on a lot of weight or something? Oh, or? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was tipping over 100 kilos. Bloody hell. I, do you know what? The, the, the one yeah. thing that sticks in my head is that my hair looked greasy. Yeah. My hair always looked greasy, even if I washed it. My skin always looked greasy, even if I washed it. And I remember it, yeah, and it, uh, one of the main things, I'm, one of the biggest down days I ever had was on a Valentine's Day. And of course, all your mates are out with their girlfriends and stuff like that. And because, I, because I've lived this life for six years partying and eating crap all the time and got myself in a bad shape, I didn't have anyone, right? And it's, um, you then feel lonely and worthless. And people go through this every day. You know, mm. they, they, they're stuck in this cycle. They've got a mundane job. They, they abuse their bodies. They, they get physically unfit and unwell and mentally. And then they've got a mundane job and then they abuse their bodies. They mm. get even worse and it's cycle. a cycle again. And your mental health is going to suffer. And I, I remember it was pretty much on that Valentine's Day, actually. I was like, i got to do something about this. And I realized I hadn't achieved anything. Before that, before getting stuck in that cycle, I was always working towards something. I've done a few challenges in my time. Um, oh, you're in university as well? In university. So when you're yeah. in, in, in an institution like that, you're going somewhere. You've got to get your degree at the end of it, aren't you? It doesn't feel like that when you're in it, though. No? No, because um, I was going through... I used university... I was going through the motions of university to live the university lifestyle hmm. of going out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I picture it. Yeah. I mean, I, I did well. Um, don't get me wrong. But it was always, let's get this work done so I can go out. Yeah. It was never... It was never about the work. It was about yeah. going out and socialising. I'm a people person. Yeah. But um, I'll hand over now. But it's like I had that moment. I had that click, and so I decided, right, I gotta, I gotta do something. So I picked the most intimidating challenge possible I could think of, which was a, a boxing fight. And I saw a poster for a white collar boxing, and I was like, right, 
I'm doing it. I'm signing up. I've always wanted to box. I dabbled a little bit when I was younger. I always wanted to fight. You know, it's about... I always just wanted to know, you know, mm. can I do it? Probably like you with your piano challenge and stuff. It's mm. like, I want to know if I can do it. I don't want to like think about it. I want to know. So I did that, trained um, for three months nonstop, like six days a week, seven actually, mo- uh, most weeks. Um, I shifted three stone in, in three months. That's a good effort. I got myself, I've never been as fit as I uh, uh, ever like this. Um, How old were you then? 29 29 29 yeah so late quite Mm. late in life um and i felt just so much happier and within myself uh the my confidence was through the roof my self-belief was through the roof it just applying yourself to a goal um and and fitness you it, it all revolves around fitness and activity for me if i'm not working towards a goal i am gonna stagnate i'm gonna weaken um it's, it's, and I think everyone needs to do this. I know pe- there, there's people, I, there are people out there that go like, just because it works for you, it doesn't work for me. I don't want to do fitness. I don't want to go to the gym. Yeah, but you don't have to go to the gym. You can go for a walk. It's still yeah. exercise. It's still your body's, your body needs to move. It needs to, and when you don't move, it starts having all these problems. So mm. even just going for a walk, going for a swim, going, playing a sport or whatever. I suppose it, that's it. You've physically got to move forward. Mm. And you've mentally got to move forward. So that's what that's that's why you get the perfect combination when you when you aim rather than just going to the gym, when you have a challenge to aim for, what is it it's not even a challenge, it's a specific target. Mm. That's it. And that's what a cha- that's what a challenge is, isn't it? You have a specific yeah. target. Um, when you have that, you just build momentum. Your life mm. builds momentum and it's well, so important. Usually that thing to aim for. Um, but everyone wants to know, Terry, how did you get on with your fight? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, of course I won. Yeah. <laughs> would you um, do it again? Would I do it again? I did do it again. Um, after that, I, s- I had a bit of time out and then I signed up again. Um, and do, do you, this is a funny topic that maybe we could uh, discuss, but like the second time around, it didn't feel the same. Okay. So I think because the first time around was so important, I wasn't just having a boxing fight. It was saving my life. Mm. I knew where my life was heading if that was continuing down the path. That's that's what I mean. Like, I don't think I suffered from mentally, you know, I don't know, I didn't have a mental illness or anything like that, you know. Um, but I could see where it was going. Yeah. If it continued, yeah, I could see where it's going. Like, this is the path. This I'm the walking path. down here. I got a crossroad. Yeah. Do I continue on this path or do I exactly. take and this I think other route? The purpose and meaning behind that training was so much greater because it was t- it was turning my life around it was uh, it, it was yeah it was saving my life the second time around it wasn't like that have you ever heard that that problem uh, that that thing about boxing champions so when you become the champion you're hungry right yeah and then when you're at the top there's a saying something like cause they you they don't last long usually champions mm. if you get a long running champion at the top that that's very rare but they look at anthony joshua you know, the uh, Andy Rees knocked him out, you know, when he was at the top. He, yeah. he overest- uh, underestimated him, thought he was a fatty. Um, and there's a saying, it's something, it's very difficult to get out for a run at 4 a.m. when you're sleeping in a bed with silk sheets. <laughs> and I think that's it, because you lose the hunger. He's achieved yeah. it, right? And that was the similar story with me, is that I'd, I'd achieved my goal. And the second time around, I wasn't as hungry. 
in the end, it didn't happen. My opponent didn't turn up. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no. So I did the full training camp. He must have seen your fight from the last he one. Must too scared. He must have seen me. And the, f- the funny thing is that the promoters were like, right, well, um, we've got this guy here. This is all white collar, by the way. This isn't like amateur. It's not even amateur, you know, because you've got white collar at the very bottom, then amateur, then pro. Like, So this is really at the bottom. I am not Mike Tyson. So you're not going to be fighting Anthony <laughs> Joshua anytime soon in pay-per-view? Uh, no. Well, I don't know. Is he, is he any good? No, he's been knocked out. Maybe I'll try to see my chances. You call him out on here if yeah, you want. Near new Joshua. <laughs> yeah, so have you ever had that? So when, you know, you do the challenges, you have one that you're hungry for. Have you ever had a challenge where you set yourself one, but you, maybe your heart's not in it? And if it is, what would you do to? What keeps you motivated when when you're not when you're not motivated? That's a real tough question. That um, no, I, I don't think that I can recall. I've ever gone. I'm going to do this challenge, and then not done it. Like I've had ideas. Like I may have said to someone, oh, I wouldn't mind doing this, but then I, I I'm very reluctant to put a timescale on things. Because I don't want to be this person who goes, oh, I'm going to do this thing next year, maybe the year after. And then it fizzles out. Like, I, I like to put the pressure on it. So, like, when I did the car marathon, I went, right, I can do the car marathon in 13 days' time. So, I was like, right, you know, this is it now. It's got the date in front of me. I'm going to train for it. But it gives you that focus then. So, I would rather have a, uh, a date that's closer to me because that gives me more motivation then. If you're training for a goal in one or two years' time, it takes a lot of discipline to be able to say, right, I'm going to train it, make sure I'm going to hit every single session now in the next two years. So easy to go, oh, it's not till two years, I'll, I'll make up for it next week, I'll do, I'll do it a little bit harder in the gym next week. But when you've got 13 days to do the challenge, you need every single session to count. You need every single session because if you start, start missing them for whatever reason, then you're, you're only going to, well, it's only going to go one way really. You're just going to make it more difficult for yourself or you're not going to perform as well as you could do. So no, I, I don't think so. I think I'm very kind of aware that when I am going to do something, I'll make sure that everything's in place before I say I'm going to go and do it. Um, and I don't like to be this type of person that sits around talking about what I want to do. I think you get those type of people, they, they'll sit, sit and spend all day talking about how they want to do this thing or what they want to do or they want to get fit, but they can't because of whatever reason or they, they tried to lose in their weight, they tried the diet and it didn't want to work in for them. So you know, they've, been, they've been losing weight for the last 15 years <laughs> and, and their weight stayed the same. You know, these sort of people are like, but I'm very much, if I say I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to, I want to lose weight or I want to run a marathon or whatever my goal is at the time, I, I'll do it. I will make sure I do it. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to do it because I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Mm. So that's the way I, I see it. Well, um, I've got a personal quote, which I say uh, is, you won't do it unless you do it. Yeah. It's so, it sounds so stupid and simple, but it's true. So many yeah. pe- I know so many people, oh, I'd love to run a marathon. Do I'll it. Do it. Do nothing stopping you. Yeah, just do it. Just, just commit. Yeah, just get it done. That's that's, that's my saying. Just get it done. <laughs> it's interesting you saying about like say you've got a challenge in two years time. I think um, sometimes I think that's half the reason why some people are put off by big challenges because they they're so intimidating when you step back and look at them. Mm. But if you break it down, so say you have your thirteen day thing, if you break a four month training uh, camp into one. How many formations? So it's sixteen week chunks. So each week is a is a target. So you don't look at the end target. You look at just Sunday, right? Let's it's Monday today. Let's just aim for Sunday. What do we want to achieve in this week? That's um, maybe a good strategy of longevity to your training, then keeping yeah. you focused. Do you think? Is it? Well, do you do that? 
Yeah, no, 100% with that. And uh, if you imagine you want to run a marathon, for example, you've just started running. Like, oh, I can't run at all. If you just started running, you'd run a mile or something. You want to do the London Marathon next year or whatever, get it booked. You can get a space, obviously. <laughs> but then in the meantime, you could set yourself you know, a park run. Or you could set yourself a 5K or a 10K. Enjoying these races, because then you could train for that 5K. Do the 5K. Once you've done your 5K, maybe do another 5K in a month or two's time. Do that 5K and then go, right, okay, let's do, another t- let's do a 10K in two months' time. So you're training for that 10K. And that gets you fit there. And the next thing you know, a year has passed. You've done all these races. You've got all this experience. You've got all this fitness. And you're towing an 18-ton truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where it goes. That's yeah. where it heads. Uh, I'm interested, Max. What's been your hardest challenge? Maybe not like the hardest challenge in general, but maybe like, what's been the hardest moment within a challenge that you've had to overcome? And how did you overcome it? Is there any been a t- has been a time where you've been like, oh my God, I am in deep shit here? <laughs> or, um, I mean, that first one, like I, I mentioned, the, the triple challenge, that, there was a few moments where I, th- I was like, what the fuck, why, why, why haven't I done this? But I was annoyed at myself. I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't a case of me going, oh, I can't do this. I was annoyed at myself. I, w- I knew better. I, I should have known to prepare better. So I was annoyed at myself in that respect. I think I'd overestimate my fitness. I think I still thought my fitness was what it was in the Marines, where like you don't realize how fit you are because you're doing it all the time. And then it's only when like you know you end up working with the US Marines or something and you realize, oh, hang on a second, we're actually a lot fitter than these guys. But it's only because you're so, you're so used to being fit, everyone around you is fit. But then you kind of stays in your head then, you go and do these things. You still think you can do them 10 years later when you haven't done any training whatsoever. You haven't done any running for 10 years. You still think you can run like you could 10 years ago. Um, so I think that was the one time uh, that I thought, that, what am I doing? Um, there was no point where I thought like I'm out of my depth or anything like that. I knew um, during the challenges, before the piano carry, I had a bit of um, bit of nerves beforehand, should we say. So I think the, the carpool marathon I did, and that, that got quite a lot of attention as well, but I had no kind of, there was no pressure in front of that. Because I just said one day, oh, I'm going to do it. I put it on Facebook. I told my friends. I told um, people. And people were going, oh, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. We, we talk, well, no, no, no one's done that. But loads of people have done it now. I know a few people who have done it in the last sort of year. Um, but at the time, not me. I think Ross Edgley, Ross Edgley had, had done it um, before me. But, um, you know, people say, no, you're not going to be able to do it, Max. Able, why are you going to do that? What's the point in doing that? You're not going to be able to do that. It's impossible. Cheers for the support. Yeah, but then, like... <laughs> You know, then I say, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. So I say, look, I'll tell you what, if I do this, you, I, I want you to do 250 burpees. Yeah. When I next see you after the event, you know, I'd say stuff like that back to him. Or I'd say, I'm going to do it now just to prove you wrong. But there was no kind of pressure. But then when the piano carry came, what happened was that the media got hold of it and they were like, oh, this guy's going to do it. He's ex Marine. He pulled a car for uh, 26 miles last year. He's awesome. He's going to do all this stuff. Like, and I was thinking, oh, fuck. Do you mean, am I, you've got that kind of imposter syndrome that they talk about where you think, fuck, am I, am I that person? Am I going to be able to do it? What if I go up there and I snap my leg? I'm going to look like a right fool. What if I get off? Oh, yeah, but I just can't do it or whatever. And I think, because there was a few things that were just not in my favor at the time. With hours I was working, I was working real long hours. I was tired all the time. I was trying to train. I had a um, Achilles tendon injury, which flared up before. I had a real bad cold as well. So I was just not 
at my peak performance at all at that at that point, and I was just struggling to recover from that. So I remember in the morning I was like, then in the day before I was like, oh fuck man, what am I doing? Like, do I postpone it? I wanted to postpone it. I wanted to do it at the time, but I knew that that was the only time we could do it. It was the only time I had the time off. I had other people come in to support, and then they were off at the same time. I knew that because of COVID as well, that new restrictions were going to be coming back in place in a few months' time because of the way it was going, or a few weeks' time, the way it was going, the weather was good. So the weather, that was another fact. The weather was good, so I had to do it on this day. If I pushed any late there, it would have been winter, it could have been raining, the piano could have filled up with water, I could have slipped, it could have been icy. So all these things I needed to be done that day. So I was sitting there thinking, oh shit, man, I'm, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm going to fuck this up. So I think the pressure kind of got me a bit there. I wasn't used to dealing with that kind of pressure for these challenges, for these external people saying he's going to do it. Nobody's going, you're not going to be able to do it, Max. They were all going, you're going to do it. And I was thinking, oh shit, okay, the change now. <laughs> I don't have to prove them wrong. Yeah. I need to meet their expectations now rather than, you know, it was before there was no expectation of me. So yeah, I just basically had to go and have a word of myself. What was that word? I just put my, took myself in the bathroom by myself and I just used to think, like, when I was training for the car marathon, I used to go in the bath every day after my sessions in a cold ice bath. So I'd fill the bath with water, there was ice in there and i just sit in there for, 10, 15 minutes, and I just think, um, and I just kind of go away from it all, like, and that, and sometimes I'll just go back to that in my head, and I'll just, like, even though I'm not in the cold bath, like, I don't, I don't need the cold bath anymore, but I'll think I'm in the cold bath, so in my head, I'm in the cold bath, so I used to just sort of sit there or whatever, and I'd be like, right, okay, remember the cold baths, remember how cold, remember you're sitting there, remember how clear your mind was, how focused you were at the time, you know, I'd say things to myself like that or, or whatever. Um, you know, you've got to go do it. You've got to go do it. You've said you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Um, all you've got to do is put the piano on your back, just walk, and, and you're going to be fine. So I did that, thought about the cold bath. I don't think I had a cold bath that morning because I think I didn't want to be my muscles to be cold. But what I did do was I got up there and I did a lot of foam rolling on my Achilles, just to, on my calf, just to make sure that area was lots of... Um, Lots of nice and warmed up mobile, so they wouldn't aggravate on the on the walk. And then I was like, right, okay, let's go. The time came then, and we met you at like six, six o'clock in the morning or something, wasn't it? Mm. So we got to that point. I was like, right, okay, let's go. Let's go on like Facebook Live, or not Facebook Live, Instagram, Instagram Live, or whatever it was, to say, socials. yeah, to say, look, I'm on my way now to go and do it. Uh, yeah, so that, and that was it then. And as soon as as soon as I'd had that word myself, and I started the process of the foam rolling and of the getting ready, then you know, that doubt had gone. It was, there was no doubt in my mind then that I was going to do it because, you know, I was saying to myself, like, you've already been there because in my head, prior to that, I had walked up there beforehand. But then the doubt started coming in because we did a recce way back when I was looking at different areas to do because I was thinking about Pedavan originally, I was thinking about Snowden, I was thinking about um, um, Garth and we did the Garth but I didn't have permission to do Pedavan because I spoke to the National Trust and they wanted a little bit of um, Insurance is they want to guarantee I wouldn't damage the path and things like that. And I thought as well, it's going to be very busy. I didn't want to hurt anyone by dropping a piano on them. No, <laughs> certainly not. Yeah. yeah. So I, I went with the quieter uh, of the options and the easiest one, the closest one at the time. And we, we did our travel restrictions at the end of the day. And there were travel so, restrictions yeah, at the time, which, which, which we've got to remember that there was that time of the year as well. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? Wait until next year? I thought, no, I'm going to do it now. I'm ready now. Uh, and I remember saying to myself, look, there's nobody else in the world right now is. I don't think they're capable, other people would be capable of doing it, but I was the most prepared out of any person in the world at that point in time to carry a piano on my back up a mountain because I, I was there and I was, and I, that was kind of a empowering feeling for me because I was thinking, okay, yeah, you're probably, the, you know, you're the best place to be able to do this. 
So just, we'll stop you. <laughs> just go and do it. Do you know what? I, I, I've got two <clears throat> things from, from you talking about there. One, you're human. Mm. Because I think a lot of people might look at you and think you're some sort of Terminate yourself <laughs> in the future to exterminate yeah. to just tow vehicles all day and stuff, <laughs> lift heavy objects. Um, but like you do, you do have uh, these insecurities, these mm. vulnerabilities, um, and I think that's good for other people to hear and, and see. You know, so when they're feeling them, they're not going to feel like it's just them that feel them. Even Big Max Glover <laughs> well, has, well, these, yeah. has these issues. You know, so well that's the thing is. Everything went well, so I built up my training, so I had a good foundation, but then like, the month before the challenge, or the three weeks before, I had, in my head, I'm going to do X, Y, Z to be perfect. But because of those things I mentioned, being ill and just not being able to shake it, and your training was intense, so the last thing you want to do when you're really ill is intense training, because you can just make your body worse, and an, an, an injury that was kept flaring up. So I didn't do that X, Y, Z training program I had in my mind. So because I wasn't perfect where I wanted to be to be perfect to have this super strength that I was going to take this piano up the mountain because I would have done all this ridiculous hard training I had this plan that I had a hill that I was going to walk up every single day I was going to start off with like 130 kilograms and I was going to go up the hill then I'd put an extra 5 kilograms on each day for 3 weeks so that I would surpass the weight of the piano and I, I, I call that accelerating training I don't, I don't know if there's an actual word for it but I call it accelerated training where you train with something heavier than what you're going to use for the mm -hmm. test so I did it with a car. I had weights in the car when I was training so that when I did the test, I took all the weights out. I took the spare wheel out. I took, I just had the car and the driver. Train hard, play easy. As yeah. So then when I pulled it, I thought, oh, that feels easier. So I wanted to do that with the piano as well, but I, could, I didn't do that because I didn't do that. The training wasn't perfect. So then I started, the doubt came in, but then you, know, you just got to quell it then and realize, no, just because it's not perfect, you've still done all these other things. You've still done all these, this training beforehand. You're ready mentally. You've got the support in place. You've done all the preparation. So, but I was thinking I defeated myself almost the day before because we did this. So we did the recce's before. We went up there the day before the event just to kind of just do a double check on things, so I could plan where I was gonna. Um, I could plan it again in my head, and I was like, "Fuck, this looks steep." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This wasn't this steep last time." Because no. <laughs> then there was that initial kind of thought was to do it. You know. Um, do you remember the last bend we went up, um, where we stopped the wagon on the road? The support wagon was, yes, yeah. was as far as I could go. I'd said to um, my girlfriend, "Maybe we'll just do it here. We'll, <laughs> we'll drive it here. We'll drive the piano this as far as the road will take us, and then I'll just carry it up here, up to the summit you from said there." That? No. Yeah, we, oh, we, we discussed Max. it. We discussed it, and I was Terrible. like, "Fuck!" I was I was talking myself out of it. I was like. Because the initial plan was to start off at the bottom by the pub, uh, or where we could get somewhere we could get the, um, the the van parked in on the main road, uh, you know, without blocking. Because I told the police as well. I said, "Look, this is going to happen. You might get some calls. There might be a guy walking up the street. I didn't want. I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. obstruct the highway or whatever. Because I I know it all works. You don't want to do challenges. You don't want to affect. You don't want to affect the environment. You don't want to affect other people. And you don't want to affect you know, the highways and things like that will cause danger or anything to anyone else or annoyance to anyone else. So. I know some people don't care about that, but I really care about that. I don't want to hurt the environment or any other people when I'm doing my challenges. But some people, they get so focused on, oh, I'm going to do this challenge, that they sometimes forget that, I think. Whereas I would very much like, I want to make sure that nobody else gets affected by what I'm doing. If I injure myself, it's fine, but um, I don't want anyone else getting affected or the environment. I can't damage the mountain. It's self-awareness. Yeah. yeah. I got a lot of respect for the mountain. Because a lot of people were saying to me, oh, you didn't leave it up there. It's fly tipping. Like, no, we took it down. 
<laughs> it's not still up there. We took it down straight away. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so in my head the day before, I was like, oh man. So that was all our self-doubt was there, see, the day before. And then in the morning, I was like, no, you can't do that. You've, you've, you've got to do it from the bottom, as, as the plan said. Why, you can't do that. And I'm so glad I talked myself out of that. When I say, it was only an idea. You know, it was just like, oh, this idea popped into my head. Just to, you know, The brain tries to make things easier. It does. It, it's funny because obviously you are this meticulous planner. Yeah. And then when you saw these things going wrong to your plan, yeah. it's almost like you, you they would, uh, I'll call it a panic. Or the, you know, you've gone, oh my God, I'm ill. It's all out of control. Yeah. But what you did, because obviously planning takes the sting out of a challenge, doesn't mm. it? Because yeah, you yeah. know everything. It's like you've, you've taken what makes it intimidating and, and you know, the unknown and mm. you've made it known. Yeah. So the power is in your hands. And then when it's crumbling around you. The plan's crumbling, yeah. yeah like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But I like what you said. You just took it back to basics. You said, all I've got to do is put a piano on my back and take steps forward. Mm. And I think that's it. And you mm. sit, you're doing your phone rolling. So when you are maybe getting overwhelmed by what's in front of you, it's important just to take it back to basics. Mm. Tyson Fury has a, a good saying because um, they quite often big fighters up. They're, you're, you're fighting this guy. He's two-time heavyweight champion. He's knocked out all his opponents. They build him up as some sort of superhero. Yeah. And he goes, he's just a guy with two arms <laughs> yeah. with gloves on. Yeah. Like, Humanizes him. Yeah, he's, every, yeah. He's, just, he's a human. And I think that's it. You've just got to, yeah, just... Bring, bring yourself, ground yourself, ground yourself with the challenge uh, and take it back to basics. Yeah, so well done. That's <laughs> how so you do it. It's like, it's like Rocky Four, that, isn't it? Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, I think we've pretty much got through all the questions already, Max. Like this, I think it's been a cracking chat. We've been going at it for, I think, about an hour and a half. <laughs> Time flies, eh? It's flying by. <laughs> um, but before, oh, I've got member questions. Then I want to talk about what's next. And then we're going to quickly go on to the Rockman Plus section, which is for our Rockman Plus members, um, an exclusive bit for them. And we'll talk about uh, training, nutrition, and supplementation for 20 minutes or something like that. Sounds good. So members' questions. Um, it was two members' questions. One is from Bob Thomas, the ultra-endurance athlete who's just coming on board with Rockman actually soon. Oh, fantastic. Um, he recently towed his drum kit 100 miles from Cardiff to Pembroke. And he has said... Him with a drum kit, you with a piano, do you fancy a race? Are we towing it or are we carrying it? You carry it, he tows oh. it. <laughs> Give it a go. Yeah, What's, what would be the distance? Is there a happy meet? So he towed his over 100 miles. Well, put it this way, I've carried my piano over two miles. So <laughs> I think it would, maybe I'd have to tow it. Maybe we should have a look at um, some sort of Top Gear style race. So you both have different paths maybe to take. Or I can carry it up a hill, he can tow his up a hill. You could do that. Yeah. You could do that. All right, it's on. Bob Thomas, we're going we're gonna to arrange it now. <laughs> um, second question from Pav, another Rockman athlete, who asks, where do you get your hot-looking ladies from for your challenges? <laughs> ah, yeah, well, they're, they're all professional shoots, so I'll put, a, I'll put like a post up, and I'll say, look, I'm organizing a, a shoot. Anyone who's interested, if you want to come along to it, I'll give them all the details of what they want to do. And then... You go from there, really. Because they are some very lovely-looking ladies that you have. <laughs> uh, well, there we are, Pav. Uh, Max can sort you out. He'll sort you out with some contact details. We'll get your uh, your birthday party sorted. Um, so, Max, the future. What is next on the horizon? Is there anything next? Uh, not at the moment. I'm just relaxing a little bit, doing my training. Winter's here now, so I, I tend to do all my challenges in the summer just because we get more daylight and 
the weather's normally a bit, a bit nicer. Better, isn't it? A bit, bit <laughs> uh, yeah, just going to try and build up a bit of strength. Uh, maybe put on a bit of bit of muscle as well because a lot of that, that's you know started to go down a little bit because I've been doing more kind of endurance challenges and I've been focusing on those. So just try and put a bit of strength back up. Um, now I'm back weight training in the gym. Um, yeah, that's it really. Just we, we keep enjoying life. I think as best I can. I guess what I try and do, try and enjoy life um, as best I can. Exactly. Not let things work and stuff like that get in the way. Yeah, bro. So where can people find you, Max? So uh, I, want, I want you to plug everything now. So you've got, I want you to plug your YouTube, your socials, and your book and your services as well. Everything. Right. Okay. Okay. So start off then. Uh, YouTube's Muscle World. So YouTube Muscle World is my my main YouTube channel. I've also got Instagram muscle.world.fitness and I've got a website maxglover.com and I've also got a couple of books out. Uh, the one which kind of talks about a lot of the things we talked about today, the the, the, the challenges, 100 kilograms over 100 kilometers, car marathon, the piano carry. It's all mentioned. I, I write about um, how I train for them and a bit about them in my book, Challenge What You Think, Believe What Is Possible, which is available on Amazon. And also, I've got a couple of training programs. I've Commando Nighty training program, which is people who are looking to get fit to join the Marines or just to get that level of fitness. Cracking. So, guys, if you enjoyed this interview and you want to hear more, after this podcast, we're going to record uh, extra questions exclusively for the Rockman Plus members. Um, if you want to find out how you can sign up to be a Rockman Plus member, uh, there'll be a link below this video, or you can go straight to rockman.co.uk. Other than that, Max... Thank you very much. Thank you very much.